Back in the summer before Jim and, or Sim and Joe left, and their family left to go to Europe, I ran into Sim. He was still busy um, gathering things that he would need to go, and I ran to, into him downtown. I was going to the bank, and he was, I think he was going to a bunch of different banks, just trying to get as many euros together as, as what he could manage. Um, and one thing that he said that we chatted, and then he went, I had to go to the bank and to the post office, so I ran into him twice. And one thing he said to me that stuck with me, he said this back then, um, was to help keep Norwich Baptist unified. And that stuck with me. There have been a couple of events that we've gone through here in the last couple of weeks, in the last month. Um, one was when we gathered the church around uh, Sim and we prayed for him, and you guys put hands on him, we prayed for his healing. That felt to me like a very unifying uh, event. There was another couple weeks later where we invited the church. We gave some time at the beginning before the message just to pray for his health. Once again, that was another very unifying moment I felt for me. And then once again, last Sunday, when we had a time of testimony and sharing, and you guys shared a lot of what was on your hearts and on your mind. And once again, I thought, those three things stand out in my mind as something that felt very unifying, very together, where our congregation, our little group of believers here, felt very much together. And I thought about that. Um, and then, as I was thinking about that, there, there's a, a verse that popped into my mind, which says this, and that, that's part of the reason why I'm speaking to you tonight about this topic of unity. It, it goes like this in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So I, I don't come to you because I, I've seen some sort of problem. I think, hey, you guys aren't getting along. There's uh, fights here and there, whatever's going on. That, that's not what it's about. Um, just... And you'll get it when I, when I go through this. You'll start to understand um, where my heart is coming from a little bit. Um, so we'll just get into it. John 17, 8 to 11. And you'll know this. This is Jesus' inter intercessory prayer. He prays for us. He prays for his disciples. He prays for all those who will believe in times and, and times past till the future coming. And it, it goes like this, John 17, 8 to 11, starting at verse 8. It says, For I have given them, Jesus praying to the Father, for I have given them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they didst believe that thou didst send me. Verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for the, them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Um, then if we jump down a little bit, 17, chapter 17, uh, John ch chapter 17, verse 20 and 22. Jesus continues in his prayer a little later. He prays the whole way, but another point that I want to emphasize, 20 and 22, it's Jesus continues to pray. He says, Neither pray I for these alone, 
but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as Father, art, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and that the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Like I said, why a teaching on unity? And do I think we're failing? No, that's not what I'm getting at. Um, but Jesus prayed for it. Of all the things, he's facing the cross. It's his last few moments, last few days, last little bit of time left on this earth. And the one thing that's on his heart, big time, is unity. And, and it's not just unity for the disciples who are, have their own struggles. It's not just unity for that church back there in, in Jerusalem, but it's unity for us. Because he says that, not, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So all the word that they've shared through down through the ages, Jesus says, I pray for those that are going to believe on that word, those that are going to become part of the church down the road, that they may be one. Like I said, I, I was speaking with the men's breakfast back in the spring. Um, we looked at humility. We ended up here at this prayer. And I, I came at it from the other angle. So from, from uh, what was going on with the disciples, and we ended up here. But when I look at it this way, and I look at it when Jesus is giving this prayer, why? 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 What, what is the thing that happened? What are the events preceding this, before this, that he felt and that he still felt he needed? Father, give them unity. If there's one thing I can ask for the church that's coming down the road, I pray that they would be unified, that they would be one. Father, like you and I are one, that they might be one. What was it? What was it that he sought in his disciples, that he saw when he looked at the church. We're going to look at a few passages of some of the things that the disciples were going through. Um, and we're going to see maybe part of what leads him to pray like that. Um, I thought about Jesus' words in John 17, 21, that they all may be one. And I thought about that as, as I shared with the men, and that's, that was good. But it wasn't just for the men. And so that's why I'm bringing it back to you again tonight. Um, that they all, that's for all the church. It's for all of us. It's not just for men. It's not just for the leadership of the church. It's not just for the disciples. It was for the whole church, for all believers, all times. That they might be one. And why? Well, it says, um, where was that? 21 that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. It's part of our witness. It's part of our testimony. Our unity screams to the world, Jesus. It, it, it shows them Jesus. When we're at odds with each other, it takes away from that message that we're trying to share with this world. And they say, see, see, look, those guys can't get it together themselves. 
What's their message about? Not just to the men, to the whole church. Why was Jesus so concerned about unity with the disciples? The men that Saturday morning, we started in Matthew 20, and Jesus starts in Matthew 20. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he tells the story of the owner of a vineyard who hires a bunch of guys to go out into his vineyard. And he starts off the first thing in the morning, and he hires a bunch of guys, and they agree to a price to work for this, this master, for this owner. And they go off into the vineyard, and they work. And the owner looks at what's going on, and he decides he needs more workers. So again, at the third hour, at the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, and finally at the eleventh hour, he hires more workers each time. And he gives them a price or whatever. He, gives, he hires them into his into his vineyard to do the work, to gather in the harvest. And at the end of the day, the guys come to get their pay, and he gives to the first guy the price that they agree. He gives to those first workers that price that they agreed on. And then he gives to the next ones the same amount. And those first workers aren't happy. Those first guys that have been working all through the heat of the day, they say, this is not fair. We've been working a whole day all through it all, and we get the same amount as the guys who came at the end. And the owner responds, didn't I make an agreement with you to work so much, for, and you thought it was a good deal? Yeah, yeah. So then what's it to you that I've paid these other guys really well to help me get my harvest in? And Jesus gives all these kind of little examples as he's walking down the path um, on his last his last journey to Jerusalem, he's, he's told the disciples, or he will tell the disciples, that this is his final, his final journey into Jerusalem. And he's telling them these little stories along the way. And, and I started at Matthew 20 with the men that, that Saturday morning, and I shared that little story. But the trouble with the disciples, the, the struggle that they were facing, the thing that they were going through, started before that. It started before they came to Capernaum. Mark 9, 33 to 37 says this. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among the way, by yourselves, by the way? And they held their peace, for by the way, they had disputed amongst themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and the servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. There was trouble with the disciples as they walked along the way. And they didn't think that Jesus was noticing. They didn't think he, he clued in. They, possibly they're at the tail end of the group. I don't know exactly what was going on there, but they thought that they were doing their little discussion and Jesus didn't know. But Jesus had a bit of an idea and Jesus knows their thoughts anyway. So he comes to the house and he says, what was it that you guys were talking about? And their answer is kind of like, on, on nothing, nothing. So Jesus gives them this little story because he already knew. He already knew what they were thinking, what their, what their hearts were about. He says, if anyone wants to be first, let him be, 
be last. And he takes a little child, and you got to understand in those days, the child children weren't given priority very much of the time. So he takes that little child, and he puts him in the middle of, of them with the 12. And then I, I like the next part. It said he takes him up in his arms. Jesus takes the child in his arms, and he says to him, whoever, whoever receives such one as one of these children receives me. He's showing them not to put themselves first. He's showing them to have a humble character. And we looked at that with the men. There was trouble with the disciples because they wanted to be first. They wanted to have the number one spot with Jesus. Um, this passage in Mark 9, 37, 35 to 37, it matches really closely to uh, another passage in Matthew 18, 1 to 6, and I'm not going to read that one, but it, it's very close. It's, and Jesus does the same response where he, he shows them a child and he says the same kind of answer. The only thing is there's no mention of the dispute before along the way. That's the only difference that you can see. But it's the same thing. Who's, who's the, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Um, with the men that morning, we looked at Matthew 20, 17 to 28, and I'm going to read part of that here tonight. So Matthew 20, 17 to 28, it says this, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way, and he saith unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the, unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. But Jesus said, answered and said unto her, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I shall drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We are able. And he said unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, in this, this little part of the walk, I mean, this is after they leave Capernaum and they're on their way farther, going farther on their way to Jerusalem. He's told them he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified they know that. They don't understand exactly what he's talking about, but he's told them that. And this question arises again. It's, it, 
Now it's time number two. I mean, they've already talked along the way going into Capernaum. They leave Capernaum. They're going on the way to Jerusalem. And mom comes along and says, hey, you know, see my two boys, you know, James and John? How about you give them a good spot on your right and your left hand when you get in your kingdom? And Jesus and that unity once again was broken because we see when the others heard it, it says they were moved with indignation against the brethren. That unity was broken. And that happens. That when, when one person desires to be great, that will happen each and every time. And he gives them an answer. And Mark 10, 35 to 40, it, once again, it, it tells a parallel story to this. Only this time in Mark 10, 35 to 40, it's the two brothers that come to Jesus. And they say, Lord, when you get to your kingdom, give us. They ask for themselves. They say, give us to be on your right hand and on your left in your kingdom. And Jesus gives them the same type of answer. He says, you know what? The princes and the rulers of the Gentiles, the leaders of the pagans and the unbelievers, they exercise dominion, lordship, or authority. The idea is that they rule harshly. And they put you under their control, under their rule. He said, not like that with you. Not like that with you. And you think they would have learned. Right? This is now twice. They're walking along the road. Jesus gives them these two examples twice. And he tells them basically the same answer or very similar answers. And there's, there's other little stories in between where he's showing them what the kingdom of heaven is like and he's talking about humility in between these two. You go and read it um, and you'll see that. Then we get to John 13. And you'll recognize this one too. They get to Jerusalem. They're in the upper room. Um, he's already showed them the Last Supper and, and given that to them. John 13. I'm going to read a little bit here. 1 to 11. John 13, 1 to 11. It says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, and he loved them unto the end. And the supper being ended, and the devil having now been put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth up from supper, and he laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then he cometh to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do? Thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands also and my head. 
And Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Ye are clean, but not all. For he knew whom should betray him. Therefore he say, Ye are not all clean. In this little story, we, we see after the supper, Jesus, there, there, no one else took the initiative to wash the feet. That was normally the job of a servant person when they came into the house. Normally there would be a servant that would take the basin and the wash towel would pour out the water and they would wash the feet of the guests, but there was no one to do that. The disciples, none of the disciples had stepped up to that task. So here the master, the Lord, bows down and, and does the job. John 1, 1 to 5. I read this for the men that morning. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That's 1 to 5. 9 to 14 goes on like this, of John, first, of John 1. Um, 9, it says this, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This one. This one who by his word had created the heavens and the earth, man on it, all the beasts, all of the, every part of creation. He was the one that was there in the beginning, speaking that into existence. And now when it comes time, he's the one that bows down and washes their feet. He had just given them the Lord's Supper. He had just told them that he's going to go to a cross. He's just told them that his body is going to be broken and his blood is going to be spilled. He's just given them the emblems that they're going to remember this by. And then he gets down and he washes their feet. Luke 22 tells a very similar story of that whole occurrence. Only in Luke 22, um, it says they began to question who it was that was going to betray him. And they, is it, is it I? Is it, who is it? Which one of us is going to do that? And in Luke 22, verse 24, it says this as well. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. It hasn't gone away. It hasn't gone away for them. They wanted to be the top. They wanted to be on top. They didn't want the servant role. That conflict rises up again about who would be the greatest. And if you go to that point, it says that they were mad at, at these disciples that wanted to be the greatest. That, that question breaks unity every time. And once again, unity is broken. And Jesus gives them the same answers along the road to Jerusalem um, in verse 25 and 26 of John 
team. No, that's not right. He says this, and he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority on them are called benefactors, but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that does serve. They will get it. They will understand, but they haven't to this point. James 1, verse 1 says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting my brethren. So the book of James is to the church. It's to the church, the Jewish church, that's being scattered because of persecution. But he goes on in chapter 4 to say this, James 4, verse 1. So the context is that it's to believers. It's not to the world out there. It's not to unbelieving people. It's to believers. It says this in James 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust, that war in your members? Ye lust, and ye have not. Ye kill, and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight, and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. Unity. And so you can see clearly in in those passages, in that little walk that they took from Capernaum as they go up the way to Jerusalem, and, and there's other instances that they experience along the way, but you can see each time when one or two or a group of them say, Lord, make us number one and number two, you can see that each time that happens, unity is broken. Nobody likes to be number two. Nobody likes to be under on the bottom or to think that somebody else is better than them. And that's what these guys were asking. And that will break unity. Nobody likes that. And it doesn't feel good. And Jesus says, don't do that. That's the way the world, that's the way the pagans operate. But for you guys, you want to, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Then become the servant. Become the one who, who follows my example and gets down with a bowl of water and washes the feet. He gives some examples. He, he says, be like the one who, who's serving the children, the needy, the weak. Be like that. The disciples do get it. Remember Peter at the end of the Gospel of John when, when Peter asked, or John, Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And then he says, feed my lambs. He asks him three times that question, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And, and the idea is not to go out and, and give food to people, but to tend to them, to care for them, to, to minister to them. And, and we see the disciples doing that in their pathway as they, as they start to clue in after Jesus' resurrection and they start to understand what was really going on. They, they get it then. They understand that. And they go out and they serve this world and they serve the church in a way that will get... Most of them martyred. Most of them die caring for the church and telling the gospel and sharing the gospel um, and leading the church. I, I couldn't help but notice Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs. Not feed your lambs. Sometimes, sometimes preachers can get the idea, hey, these are my people. 
They're, they're mine to care for, whatever. No, they're Jesus. Jesus' sheep. It's still Jesus' uh, family. Feed them. And when you have that idea and that attitude, that will give you a servant attitude. That will give you a servant attitude. And that's not just for, for the preacher. That's for each one of us who claim to be a Christian, who claim to know the love of Jesus. We're meant to do the same thing. That's to feed the needy, to care for those, to, to share with those the gospel. What about us? I said unity is broken when there's pride. When one person gets up and thinks he's the all in all. That doesn't give unity to a group. Unity is broken when there's selfish ambition. That's pretty much almost like pride. And unity is broken when there's a judgmental self-righteous attitude. When we start thinking that, hey, I've got all my act together and I'm going to start picking on everybody else, well, that, that breaks unity too. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts in the church. And you can, you can read that one on your own time. I'm not going to read it all. It talks about all kinds of different gifts. It talks about the gifts of, of wisdom and knowledge and gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, gifts of faith, gifts of tongues, interpretation of tongues, all those gifts are in there. And in that context, we run into 1 Corinthians 13. And 1 Corinthians 13 goes this way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemingly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never fails, faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child... I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. First Corinthians 13 shows us that charity it's kind of like gas in the tank. And not just love. It's the love that we know when we, when we understand what Jesus has done for us. When we understand what he's given for us. When we understand 
what the cross is all about and how he took our sins there and paid our price and our penalty. And when that love starts to affect us and we have that relationship with the master, with the Lord, and that love starts overcoming us, then it starts overflowing and spewing out. And when that love hits other believers, that's the fuel that will drive unity, that will empower unity, um, that it, it won't be anymore. You heard some of the thought. It, charity, love, doesn't envy. It's, it's not puffing up itself. It doesn't look after its own good, seeketh not its own. It's not easily provoked, doesn't get angry easy, doesn't get ticked off because somebody else might have done. It's not seeking me first. It's seeking somebody else first. And it, it serves. It doesn't get happy to see somebody else stumble or fall or, or make mistakes. In fact, it tries to help them out of their, their problem. John 17, 21 again. That they may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus told us that they will know us by our love. And that love will give us unity, an incredible unity that we can't do on, their own, on our own. We can't do it in our own strength and in our own power. He wants to do that through us. But unity in the church starts by us being part. You can't have unity on a team if you're not part of the team. You won't be unified with the team if you're not a member of the team. And John 1, 11 and 12 said this, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's a lot of preachers out there and a lot of people out there that saying we're all the children of God simply because we were born into this world. That verse says you're not a child of God until you've received Jesus. Until you've taken him as your Savior, as until you've made him your Lord and the master of your life, you don't get to call yourself a son of God or a child of God. Not all are children. And that's where it starts. You can't expect to be unified with the family of God if you're not in the family of God yet. That's where it starts. And that's, <laughs> that's our gospel message. Jesus went to a cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. He was risen from the grave. And, and he's now with the Father, interceding on our behalf. And as he left, he prayed for us to be unified. And I, that floors me every time I think about it. I've seen so many times in churches where there's skirmishes of people that want to be above their brother, that want to be the one that's calling the shots. I've seen that so many times, pastors, elders, different people, people that have to work together in Sunday school. I've seen and that, you know, that breaks unity like nothing else will.